Looking forward to this discussion with Dr. David Hyman. He's Cato Institute scholar and professor of law at Georgetown University and co-author of a uh, great new book called Overcharged, and it's all about uh, how Americans are paying too much for health care, along with his uh, co-author, Charles Silver. Be speaking at a next-gen fundraising event uh, sponsored by uh, the uh, Show Me Institute here at T-Rex. Monday the 20th, that's Monday the 20th, that's not this coming, but next Monday, um, 5.30 reception, 6 a.m. presentation. How you doing, David? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Randy. So everyone should know you are both a doctor, a physician-type doctor, and a JD, right, a Juris Doctor, so you're a professor of law as well. Um, uh, I'd like to that's learn correct. I'd like to learn a little bit about uh, the transition, which came first. <laughs> and I guess you're now more on the law side, right? I mean, that's what your career path has taken you to at this point. Um, so I'm a law professor at Georgetown. Before that, I was actually a professor in both the law school and the medical school at the University of Illinois. So I try and span the divide. Um, it's mostly okay. about who will hire me. Um, ah, okay. But, uh, you know, my... I started in medical school first. I actually took a leave of absence and went to law school and then came back and finished up med school. So I, in some sense, did them together. Yeah, yeah. And what kind of practice were you in or what kind of, uh, you know, where's your, your, your certification doctor-wise? Well, I, I didn't do a residency, so I'm not licensed to practice medicine. Oh, I see. Okay, I got it. I got but it. My, my interests are, you know, mostly health yeah. policy, health law issues yeah. at this point in time. Yeah, I, and I know you. I do a lot of work on, on medical malpractice, so on medical malpractice. Uh, but I've also, as you said, written this book with Charlie Silver about why our healthcare system is so expensive, and what we. Yeah, can and do I haven't been. I, I haven't had a chance to. I agree with you. I I like to tell. I'm uh, just so you know. I I'm a, a, a trained at WashU here in Metro St. Louis, and then uh, now sort of on a medical mission in uh, far northeast Missouri, where we uh, lead. Uh, administratively and practice doing OBGYN at a safety net hospital. And uh, I tell you, having the interesting perspective of uh, practicing in academic centers and, uh, you know, uh, suburban centers and now rural, there's a common problem, and that is American patients are being fleeced. <laughs> They're just being fleeced because it shouldn't cost this much. And I maintain it's largely driven by government intervention. And, and that's at least a part of the gist I get from what I've been able to read from your book. What say you? Um, so that's certainly a big part of it, right? We, uh, we spend too much on health care, but we subsidize it through the tax system uh, for people to get health insurance and also tax exemption for hospitals. If you're spending too much on something, you generally don't want to subsidize it. There's also government restrictions on entry, uh, which make it harder for people to offer lower-cost uh, services. Uh, and then an additional factor is the way we regulate insurance. Uh, insurance should really be used for very low probability but catastrophic outcomes. But the way we use it for health insurance, we pay for everything. And politicians encourage that by passing laws that say your insurance has to cover this and this other thing and still this other thing. And the result is it's not really insurance anymore. It's just prepayment for health care. Yeah. And because insurance can't really say no, uh, you know, it's basically whatever the healthcare system wants to charge, our insurance more or less says, okay, here's a check. Now imagine if your negotiations with your boss over your salary went the same way. He'd say, what do you want to get paid? 
Well, relatively quickly, you'd start asking for higher numbers, and that's what's happened in healthcare. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, and I think you're you're spot on. I mean, and it really ultimately boils down to the fact that when we have um, basically licensed our government or our employer to take care of the payment of our health care. I mean, it's a third-party payment system. Of course, if someone else is paying the bill, if man, when I go to dinner with my folks and they're buying, it's like, whoa, give me the turf and turf, right? When I'm buying, well, I think I'll have the steak burger with a, some fries on the side. You know, I mean, it's it's different, right? I, I don't do that, but yeah. I mean, that's, that's human nature. If someone else is paying the bill, you're going to use more of it. Yeah, a uh, former U.S. senator famously said, if we paid for uh, food the way we pay for health care, no, not only would I eat better, so would my dog. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, I, I in the couple chapters that uh, that I was able to review, uh, talking about the sort of the, the retailization, the commercialization, and uh, the, the fragmentation of medical care away, away from hospitals and into our retail centers, our drug stores, our uh, you know, big box stores, and uh, freestanding surgery centers and so forth, um, you make the argument, you and your co-author Charles, Charles Silver, that uh, that's really sort of the, the way medicine needs to go because it, it invokes the free market and its competition. And um, I'd like to, to expand on that and then challenge you a little bit about maybe what I see as potentially a flaw in that argument, but I'm sure you have, I'm sure, you, uh, not a flaw, but a gap in that argument. And then I'm, I'm sure you'll have an answer for that. So what, what, would you react to the whole notion of uh, the retail sector and how it will save us if we let it, your Chapter 17 title? Sure. Um, well, let me just start by clarifying one point, which is we don't have any objection at all to people offering integrated services. Uh, and if consumers want that and value it, then they ought to be able to buy it in the marketplace. Um, the reason why we think what you call fragmented services, uh, so retail medicine, outpatient clinics, uh, you know, freestanding imaging centers, are important is because they're a source of competition for incumbent providers who have rigged the system in their favor, right? It's very hard for you in the current system to find out what's something going to cost and uh, how good is the quality and is the doctor any good uh, because the incumbents view insurance as their customer. They don't have any reason to be consumer friendly, whereas new entrants have a very different model. So if you go to, you know, a retail clinic like in your local CVS or Target, uh, there'll be a nurse practitioner there. They're open early. They're open late. They uh, post their prices. They have a limited scope of services. There's no question about that. It's not a full-blown emergency department, but it's much, much cheaper. Um, and consumers, you know, want different things at different points in their lives and depending on how serious or minor their problem is. A big city emergency department is not a good place to be if you don't have a life-threatening illness. You're going to wait a long time. It's not very pleasant. And, uh, you know, the person you'll see, there won't be any continuity of care or integration either. And so our, our basic point is that more competition is better. It's better for consumers uh, as opposed to incumbent providers. And that includes hospitals and doctors. Not, not everybody. Some places are more consumer-focused than others. Uh, but the basic approach we use for other sectors of the economy uh, has a lot of promise for unlocking value in healthcare and lowering prices. I, I agree with you with that general predicate. The problem I have with it is that currently 
Medicare reimbursement and Medicaid reimbursement does not pay the cost of doing business. I know in my own hospital, our critical access hospital, we get paid 94 to 95 cents on the dollar because Medicare pays safety net hospitals, for instance, um, uh, 99 cents after sequester of uh, allowable costs. And so they don't allow the things that a competitive free market system requires. They don't recognize marketing costs. They don't recognize phones in the rooms, telephones, uh, I mean, TVs in the rooms, uh, expenses for a gift shop as an allowable cost. But yet I and other hospital administrators are asked to compete in a market that other competitors are not mandated to compete on in, in, the, in the same environment uh, from a reimbursement standpoint. Now, on the other side of the coin, on a regulatory standpoint, and this is where I wanted to get into where I think there's some problems with this argument, the, the retail provider at Walgreens or CVS or Walmart or the urgent care with the affordable nurse practitioner that does sinus and uh, near infections and bladder infection, I get all that. They don't have the jackbooted highly regulated, shut you down if you don't do a plan of correction and get it approved by the regional Medicare office surveyors, swooping in, stopping business, shutting things down literally, and instilling the fear in God in you because you didn't dot some I or cross some T on a policy. And they don't demand that those people give free care. At my institution, we have a $22 million budget, net operating budget, and and yet we give almost $2 million away in uncompensated care because, A, it's the right thing to do, and, B, we have to. <laughs> no one can show up to one of these freestanding surgery centers or anywhere else and get care on demand. And yet hospitals trying to compete in what you advocate as a free market, you can't. it's not a free market by definition of the government. And that's where I have a problem. I hope that somewhere in your talk and in your book you're going to attack what is not a level playing field in, in what you want to be a competitive market. Does that question, am I making sense with that? You get where I'm coming from? Yeah, no, I understand the point. So um, a couple of quick thoughts, right? The first is we talk a lot about how government regulation raises prices uh, and impedes competition. And so I don't disagree that the, uh, many of the regulations that we talk about in the book, we need to either get rid of entirely or revise the way they work so that, People are competing on a standardized playing field. Um, I, I, I agree with you completely on that. Um, I think the second point is, you know, if we want hospitals to give away something, we ought to be subsidizing them for doing that based on how much of it they're doing uh, rather than expecting them to inflate the bills uh, to the paying patients. I think people are tired of, you know, the let's hide the cost game that we play in Washington and in the state capitals. Uh, and, you know, more transparency. Let's find out, do people actually want hospitals to do this and how much of it do they want to do it? And is it sort of open-ended or should there be a budget for these sorts of things that right. different hospitals will end up doing different things? Safety net hospitals will be different than suburban hospitals, which are different than academic medical right. centers. Uh, the third point, though, and I think this is an important point, is We've gotten into the business um, somewhat accidentally of uh, let's pay the cost of the hospital, right? But there's no other sector of the economy where the costs of the provider or the supplier are what we care about. What we care about is what's the market price for the good uh, and what's it worth to us. And 
that's the basis on which we ought to be proceeding. What's the cheapest supplier charging, and that's the basis on which we ought to reimburse, not tell me what your costs are and I'll write you a check for them, because that's just yeah. a, an invitation for the same salary spiral that I talked about earlier. Yeah, it's very troubling to me uh, as a doc who has worked with uh, better and worse docs and better and worse nurse practitioners, and I, like you, am sort of an atheist when it comes to licensure. I really am. Uh, I don't care if if the local butcher has done a bunch of human brain surgery. Maybe that's where you should get your brain surgery if the outcomes are good. You know, and, I'm, I'm and a frankly, little. I'm not there e- yet, right? I, I, I'm I, I'm, I'm there. reluctant to let the town butcher do it. Um, uh, okay, I but, I say that hyperbolically to make a point, and you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, I so, I think so, licensure was intended to get rid of the bottom of the quality distribution. Right. But it doesn't do a great job of that, and it increases costs. And that's part of the reason why we're actually seeing a pushback against licensure, not just in the healthcare field, but more broadly. It's become a, a political issue because it makes it much harder for people who are just starting out, um, as well as for people who move, so military spouses, uh, and also for people who serve time. Licensure requirements can close off entire sectors of the economy to all of these people. Oh, absolutely. And no, so I, I actually I have a lot of optimism that we're going to be able to fix that one. Yeah. I, I just, I get concerned about sort of the drive-through medical care because I guess being a frustrated internist and having seen increasingly, and again, this is, uh, this is anecdotal, but after 30 years in the business, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to claim some credibility here. I do not see the depth of investigative curiosity and rigor in the diagnostic process in general. And this goes across the board, David, among clinicians. And that's because they're so busy clicking the boxes and marching to the drumbeat of, uh, of, a, of a scrutinizing government that claims through some silly metrics to, to be really looking out for the folks. Um, and I just, I see a lot of late diagnoses. I see misdiagnoses. I see them in urgent care centers. I see them in critical, in acute care centers. I see more unforced errors since the advent of the all lauded medical record. Again, a wonderful brainchild of a mandate by a government when there were actually free market driven workable EMRs in process. And instead, we were proliferated these not-ready-for-prime-time things which have distracted clinicians and made care in many instances worse. Like I say, I, I, I freely admit, I make more unforced errors now than I ever did. And you talk to most doctors and get an honest opinion, they'll tell you the same thing. And so we so, talk about that, that whole episode yeah. in the book. I agree with you that you know the mandate was not well thought out. It threw a lot of money uh, at a problem. Uh, and encourage people in some places to do things they were going to do anyway. Um, but I think the broader point uh, is, you know, if you don't like what people are doing, you should change their incentives. Right now, there's right. pretty strong incentives to document and to fill out the medical records, uh, electronic forms, uh, because people are worried about government oversight. And, you know, there's a lot of money uh, public money that's being spent, and so you should expect some level of scrutiny. Uh, but I think lots of people in the field feel besieged by the documentation requirements, and so they're focusing on that rather than their patients. And yeah, it's it's a real it's a real problem. 
Do, do you see a role in terms of sustaining the, the essential, but like you say, a minority of the episodes of uh, Encounters for Care in America are, are really in, in an acute, high-tech, you know, Star Wars environment, right? I mean, you know, but, but eventually most people are going to need something in a hospital, acute care, high-tech OR surgical environment. They, you know, the cherry-picking acute surgical center, or, or I'm sorry, ambulatory surgery centers, the urgent care centers that don't provide that high level of stuff that a minority of people, but ultimately most people will need eventually. Um, how, do we, how do we sustain that when we take away what I call the bread and butter things that, you know, are currently providing the the resources capital-wise and operationally. Should that be the only sector where maybe it's treated as a public utility? Uh, how do we sustain that? Because that, having that 24-7 ER, that 24-7, you know, trauma um, uh, OR, the 24-7 labor and delivery that isn't always utilized, wh- how do we sustain that if we're not allowing the other things that, that do utilize that capacity over time to to remain and to be available? So this is a great question. It's a very important question, right? But I'll tell you the way not to sustain it is to overcharge everybody that doesn't need those services and then funnel that money in. That was the approach we used for long-distance services, right? We would Mm -hmm. overcharge people who were calling one another long distance, and then the Bell Company would use the money to subsidize local calls. And guess what? New entrants. Uh, MCI comes into the market, among others. Suddenly, you can't overcharge for long-distance services. Fast forward, the bell system breaks up because the logic of it being there uh, just disappeared. And you see this pattern over and over again uh, in the rest of the economy. So the short answer is if we want those services, and I think we should want some of those services, we should subsidize them directly rather than give the people who are operating them free reign to behave like private Robin Hoods, robbing from one group to give it to another. Yeah. Well, one way or another, the public at large has to pay for those services that they want them available when that rainy day comes and they need them. And I think that's, that's the big challenge. And I'm, I'm glad that you've admitted that uh, we don't really have the answer yet, but what we're doing now doesn't work. Tell us about the talk. You're going to be talking uh, May 20th at 530. There's a reception, 6 o'clock presentation at T-Rex uh, down in Washington Avenue in the heart of St. Louis. Um, and it's a, it's a fundraiser for the Show Me Institute. Uh, tell me about uh, what the theme will be, what you'll be talking about, you and uh, Charles Silver. So, uh, as you've said, uh, Charlie and I will be there, and we'll give a short talk that sort of hits some of the highlights of the books, maybe show a couple of slides and a short video clip with examples from the book. The book's full of stories that'll make you really angry, um, and some that'll make you really proud of the ways that uh, people have responded to the, the challenges in the healthcare system. And so we'll talk about uh, what are the nature of the problems we're having, why do we see them, and then finally what we should be doing about them. And we'll have lots of times for questions from the audience because we like doing that. And we'll talk depending on what people are interested in about specific chapters in the book. Yeah. That's super good, and I'm I'm glad you're going to have a lot of Q and A because there are. This is a complex. I mean, I, I think it was Peter. Wasn't well, it Peter Drucker that said that the healthcare instit, uh, industry is like the most complex on on the planet? It's a it's a difficult 
it's a difficult problem. And we have, Lord knows, we have behavioral problems in our country that lead to an increasing demand for care in a chronic setting and uh, complex multiple conditions that are challenging all of us that take care of folks. And trying to find an answer and make it all work financially is very, very difficult. I'm glad that you've approached this. The talk will be, again, at T-Rex in St. Louis on the 20th, the 20th of May, on a Monday evening. Um, and tickets are available at showmeinstitute.org. That's showmeinstitute.org. And you all know what great job they do of uh, trumpeting liberty and freedom, just like I'm hearing from our guest, David Hyman. Thanks for being with us, David. I hope to shake your hand sometime and, uh, and have a cup of coffee and discuss this further. I really appreciate your insights. It's a great read, by the way. This fabulous book, Overcharged, Why Americans Pay Too Much for Healthcare. A great, great read and a good, uh, a good uh, compass for the way forward. Thank you for doing it. Thanks so much. If people want to look at a chapter or two for free, they can go to overchargedforhealthcare.com, and there's a bunch of stuff about the book there.